1: grace and peace to you and welcome to Radio for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now this is a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in a series that's called, Called, Here I Am, Send Me, based on Isaiah chapter 6. And today Pastor Sean Azaro has a question for you. How would your future be improved if you knew for sure that your greatest need could be fulfilled by Jesus. Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. If you feel led right now to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reallife.org. The name of the message is called Woe Is Me. Pastor Sean is teaching from Isaiah chapter 6. It's time for Radio for Real Life.
2: We are going to continue this series this morning. It's called Called, and we've been talking about just our calling. And God's hand on our lives. Now, as I was getting ready for this week, I started thinking about, um, and maybe you've known people like that. Have you ever known somebody who's boldly incompetent? <laughs> I mean, they're boldly incompetent. They're incompetent, but they're confident, and they dive in there anyway. I mean, you know the guy. We built a house last year, and all our contractors are great, but... We had a guy as our painter who had been recommended by one of the other contractors. We didn't go with what the builder recommended. We went with someone else. It was the one place we did that. And he was a nice guy. He was a good guy. And he was confident. And he was an okay painter, but as he kind of went on, his time schedules were always off. The budget was way off. And then when he got to standing cabinets, it was just... Sad. I knew we had a problem when I'm looking at it. And I'm not, it, my wife's the detail, the aesthetics person. She's the one, right? This was her thing. But when I'm looking at it going, dude, does that look normal to you? It's like, it looks good. I'm like, you know, I knew we had a real problem when I was showing him on a drawer. I'm like, no, here, give me the stain. See, look, even would be good. Could we do even? What, what about if, what if we put the same amount all over it? You know, is that, is that, is that good? And let me just say to you, I'm not boldly incompetent when it comes to standing. I'm just incompetent, okay? But I'm very aware that when I'm doing the demo, we have a problem. I used to, to be a music minister, and so one of the things you have to do when you're a music minister is you have to audition people. And when you're auditioning people, like from your own church who you love, and they're from your church family, and they come and they say, oh, man, I'm, I want to be part of the worship team, and it's awesome, and they get up to audition for you, and they're terrible. What do you do? It's like, i got to go to church with these people. I, you know, on one hand, you just go, I should just lie, just lie. The problem is, and you go, but isn't it just their heart? Well, it is their heart until we give them a microphone and amplify them. Then it's a problem. I had to tell one guy, we need people like you in the congregation. That's what we really, you know, we need singers like you out there leading, leading. You know, but I want a microphone. Well, we can give you one, but it won't be plugged in, dude. <laughs> I hate to hate to tell you. Maybe you got a friend who, you know, you got. He's like. You don't need to pay someone to fix that. I can fix it for you. And you've seen his work, and you're like, oh, for the love of God, no, please. You've known someone boldly incompetent. You ever been that dude? (laughs) Interesting, New York Times had an article that said, most incompetent people don't know they are incompetent. In fact, researcher Dr. David A. Dunning of Cornell University reports that people who are incompetent are more confident of their abilities than competent people. I've seen this. Dunning and his associate Justin Kruger believe that skills required for competence are the same skills necessary to recognize that ability. And Kruger writes in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, not only do incompetent people reach erroneous conclusions and make unfortunate choices, but their incompetence robs them of the ability to realize it. So it's like when you run into this, they're not doing it on purpose, they have no clue. So be kind, be nice. And as a, where that relates to what we're talking about this morning is we're going to talk about that, that self-confidence that can get to the place of being totally clueless. We're really talk about kind of moral incompetence. Because we can get this picture of ourselves that we're one way when the truth is very different. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture that actually is kind of a blow to self-confidence. We're going to go back to Isaiah chapter 6. We've been unpacking that every week. In fact, there's a a sweet young lady in our congregation who wants to get homework from me each week, and I give her the chapter that I'm going to be looking at, you know, that week. And uh, so she's been getting the same chapter week after week after week. She's kind of wanting us to get on with it, okay? But we're going back. Isaiah chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, turn there. You remember where we've been. We saw that in the year that King Uzziah died, the prophet writes... I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This incredible vision of God, the throne room of God, in the temple of God. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold, look at that, how powerful this was, that declaration. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Now look at at this. The prophet says of himself, "And, And I said, Woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am. Send me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I just pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would work this deep into our spirits and that we would hear you and that we would respond. Give us the strength and courage to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the premise of our series is that we're all called. We see Isaiah's calling, but God has a call for every one of us. It's not necessarily to be a prophet, but it's a calling, something from him. And he begins with that idea in the year that King Uzziah died. And we said it's important that we understand the times that we live in. And we saw the times may be changing, but God isn't. The times are changing. That's what what was happening when Uzziah died. It was a time of turbulent transition. But we saw this vision reminded the prophet, times may be changing, but God isn't. Last week we saw how you serve the Lord will always reflect how you see the Lord. This vision was imperative for the prophet, that he see God as high and lifted up. If you're going to serve him, you've got to be able to see him clearly. But I want us to focus in on verse 5. Woe is me. I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Why that response? I mean, isn't that interesting? It's the most incredible worship service this prophet would ever be a part of in his entire life. I mean, we were having worship here, people with their hands raised, people celebrating, celebrating. You know, you you, you expect man—he's getting the vision of God, the throne room of God. He sees God exalted. The the heavenly beings are there, crying, "Holy is the Lord! Holy is the Lord!" You'd think he'd be standing up and shouting and getting excited, but that's not what happened at all. His response was completely different. His response was to draw back and go, "Oh my gosh! Woe is me! I'm undone." Another translation says, "I'm I'm ruined. I'm lost." I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. That's an interesting confession when you consider he's a prophet. This is a prophet, and this is chapter 6. He has five chapters of prophecy that he's already given us. And what is prophecy? But the Spirit of the Lord giving him a message and him delivering that message. He has been speaking the very words of God for five chapters, been speaking and writing down the words of God, the messages that God was giving him. You would think if there's anybody like in their world that had... Clean lips. It would be the man of God, the mouthpiece of God. But that's a fascinating picture because when you're in the presence of God and He sees the holiness of God, He recognizes I'm a man of unclean lips. His area of greatest strength really wasn't in the presence of God. And and it's like here He sees God. I'm a man of unclean lips, and He he just kind of looks around at the world around Him, and I, I live among a people of unclean lips. And why does he say that? Remember? For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, everything looks different when you've been in the presence of a holy God. Do you know that? Everything looks different. In the presence of a holy God, you get a different vision of yourself. You look different. You recognize some things. In the presence of a holy God people around you look different circumstances around you look different everything around you looks different when you've been in the presence of a holy god no matter how blessed his lips may have been in the presence of god his only response was woe is me i am lost i am ruined and undone here's how he would phrase it near the end of his ministry this is isaiah 64 verse 6 he says all of us have become like one who is unclean all of us okay no exceptions Prophets, including himself, all of us have become one, become like one who is unclean. And listen, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. What's really important about that, he said, he's not saying all of our sinful acts are like filthy rags. He's not saying like the bad stuff we do is like filthy rags, like dirty laundry. No, he's like our very best, on our best day, our most most virtuous moment, when we exercise the greatest self-control in the presence of God and his righteousness, it's like filthy rags. There is no way we can measure up when you have had a vision of the holy righteousness of God. That's what he's talking about. And that's kind of a punch in the face for us because, one, no exceptions. He said all of us. Everyone. There's no exceptions. And, you know, we love grading on the curve, and this means no more grading on the curve. Isn't grading on the curve awesome? Oh, I loved in school when they grade on a curve. Because, you know, (laughs) whether or not you know the actual material is so objective, it's so hard. You know, I I don't want to be great on whether I actually master the material and can actually do the job. I want to be great on, am I better than the goofball next to me? Okay, that's all I want to do. I don't, have to be, I don't have to really be competent. I just have to be better than you. And that's what grading on a curve is all about. It's like, ah, everybody was terrible, but I'll grade it on a curve. And so you've you got to be, you're above average. <laughs> In a really sad scenario, you're above average. We, we like the curve because here's the deal. We love the comparisons, don't we? Don't we love the comparisons? Oh, I love the comparisons, because here's the thing. I can control the comparisons. We all have those people in our lives that we compare ourselves to to make ourselves feel better. You know, that, that person who, they've done worse things than us in our mind. They've, they've got less than us, and they've handled things worse, and we're better off, and so we keep them around. We, we kind of tell their stories of woe, sadly, with you know, a lot of compassion, but there's a little part of us that goes, whew, glad they're there, because compared to them, I'm, I'm doing okay. And then there's those people that seem to be doing better than us, and we don't really like them around because, you know. Uh. It's the comparison game. We love the comparison game. We play it all the time. I mean, think about it. Okay, and, and I'm not exempt from the comparison game. I'm a pastor, right? And you would think in the comparison game, let's take a look, we've got a little chart here. There. You would think in the comparison game, Pastor Sean would do, okay, because I'm a pastor. Come on. I mean, you know, I, I preach the word of God. I, I help people. We I lead an organization. I lead a nonprofit that does good things. So how, how do I do on that on the comparison? That's not bad. You know, I'm not perfect, obviously, but, but you know, hey, that's pretty good. Let, let's see. This is, this is my friend, J.D. J.D. is an awesome guy. He's one of our elders here. He is a very cool brother, great family man, just a neat, neat guy. There's just one problem. JD's a lawyer. Ooh. JD is a lawyer, and we all know we don't even know what goes on there. And I don't want to get too into that, right? But because how's JD doing that? Yeah. See, I mean, a pastor's way better, right? I mean, come on. JD's a great guy and all, but but he is a lawyer. And so this is what we do. Who, who else can we compare it to? Ah, <laughs> there's Baltimore. You know Lord Voldemort, dark wizard from J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series. This is a very bad dude, okay? He has stolen. He has pillaged. He has murdered people. Okay? He is really evil. But he's not a lawyer. At least he's not a lawyer. So how does Lord Voldemort do? Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you to my friend J.D. for being a good sport. He allowed me to do that, so...
1: And we want to take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Radio for Real Life with Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in the series called Here I Am, Send Me, which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. And if you've been blessed by this program and want to do something good, your financial gift helps this radio ministry encourage others just like you. Again, find the Give tab at reallife.org. And if you're looking for a new church home, here's your invitation from Pastor Sean.
2: God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church.
1: And now back to the message, Woe is Me. This is Radio for Real Life.
2: Here's the deal. We love the comparison game. The problem is the comparison game is always going to break down. Because reality, we're not to compare it to one another. Here, let's see what, what it really happens. See, we end up in the presence of a holy God. And that's the standard. Now now, where's where's God at on this deal? Yeah, see, see, there's God's goodness, righteousness, and holiness. That's what the prophecy. So, whatever our little scorecards that we make up arbitrarily, they're insignificant and irrelevant. Every one of us stands in the presence of a holy God and goes, Woe is me. I am lost, I am ruined, I am undone. See, comparisons are meaningless when in the presence of a holy God. You cannot escape this truth. I am lost without him. That's just the facts. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. You can use the the app. I mean, we've got notes in the bulletin. You can use the app. But this is something that we got to, before we can really process our calling, we're going to have to deal with this. And, he, and here's what the prophet would tell us, Okay, what he learned, what he experienced in this. Before I can answer my call, I have to address my need. See, the fact is, God's about to call him, and there is no way he's in a place to respond to the calling of God in his life. Because he's basically in a heap saying, woe is me, I'm undone, because he sees his need. And I think every one of us has to go through this process. Before I can answer my call, I have to address my need. Because in God's presence, one of the things that automatically happens is we do get a vision of ourselves and our need becomes obvious. And this is something that a lot of us avoid, and it's because of the problem of pride. And pride is the kind of the core, the root of the sin nature. It's just the way it works. Pride is that thing, and there's two kind of sides to the pride coin, if you will. The first side is the one that puffs up and says, you know, I I've really got it together. It's kind of, even before the Lord, it's kind of like, almost like, God, you're lucky to have me, you know? And I don't know anybody that clueless to say that. I've never heard somebody actually say that God's lucky to have me. But it kind of can creep in. It's kind of like, you know, it's the comparison game. I start looking, kind of, God starts cleaning up some things in my life. He starts empowering me to do some things. I begin to get some victory in some areas. And all of a sudden, pride can creep up. And it's like, I'm doing pretty good. The flip side of that pride is when my pride is damaged or wounded. Someone wounds my pride. And I'm like, I don't don't even want to, I disqualify myself. I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with anybody. The point is, they're both centered on me. Pride is always about me, it's always focused on self. And that pride is the problem. Jesus gave, told a story similar to that. Remember? Talked about two men who were up at the temple praying. One was a tax collector, sinner. And he said he just couldn't even look up. He just beat his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The other was a religious leader, a Pharisee. And he looked over and said, God, I thank you I'm not like that guy. He said, I I fast. I keep the law. I tithe. I do all the stuff, God. And Jesus said, which man do you think actually went away justified? And, of course, the answer was the repentant man, the man who humbled himself, the man who in God's presence saw himself as he really was. Because isn't that what we're talking about? I want to suggest that before I can answer my call, I have to address my need. And in this passage with the prophet Isaiah, he shows us three different ways, three different keys to addressing our need. Let's take a look at them. First one. I address my need through the humility of repentance. I address my need through the humility of repentance. What's going to happen when we get into the presence of the Lord and we see him high and lifted up and exalted? We have a choice. Either we can pretend, we can posture, we can kind of put on a little song and dance, a little show, or we can honestly recognize in his presence, his holiness, his righteousness, that Lord... I'm a sinful man, and apart from you, I am lost, I am ruined, and I am undone. It's the humility of repentance. There's a passage of scripture we quote a lot when it comes to prayer. It's uh, 2 Chronicles 7.14. who says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Interesting that these are connected. We focus on the prayer, but this humility is so critical. Will humble themselves and pray. Do you know it's possible to pray without humbling yourself? It's possible to pray, actually, even in arrogant ways, to demand of God, to claim things from God that, that you don't have a right to. One of the worst kinds of pride is the pride of being a person of prayer. We can, we can come to prayer with a prideful attitude. I pray more than anyone else. I'm better at prayer. I'm the prayer police. He says, you don't know, he says, humble themselves and pray. Pray. That's the prayer of the, repent, of the penitent tax collector, the sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If my people will do that, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And look, this phrase, turn from their wicked ways. Here's the promise. He says, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. See, humble themselves and pray. Humility recognizes my need. Humility isn't some sort of groveling. You know, we think sometimes of humility as, as just, oh, I'm terrible, there's nothing good in me, and just this groveling that can actually disqualify people. Th- that's not actually humility. Humility recognizes honestly who I am in the presence of a holy God. That's what humility really is. It sees God and recognizes, okay, you are God and I'm not. Because in so much of our lives, we, we want to be God, we want to call the shots, we want to lead, we want to do what we want to do. And humility is that thing that says, yeah, no, you're God, and and I'm not. And see, humility reveals our desperate need for him. It reveals the fact that apart from him, we are lost. On our best day, our righteousness, our best righteousness is like filthy rags. That's what humility does. If they'll humble themselves, and then that turn from their wicked ways is the repentance part. See, I address my need through the humility of repentance. And you know what repentance is. Repentance is when I'm walking along in my own way, my own strength, kind of my own arrogance, and I have this kind of sense that, you know, I'm doing pretty good, I'm calling the shots, and all of a sudden I begin to see the fruit of that. I begin to see, maybe I get a vision of him, or maybe I start to see the damage that me being God in my own life causes. How I hurt God, how I hurt myself, how I hurt people around me. Maybe I start to recognize that. Repentance is that act of saying, oh God, I don't want that anymore. And I turn from my way to his way. That's what it means to repent. To say it is to confess. Repent actually means to turn. I am turning in my thinking. I'm turning in my actual behavior. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean I don't stumble. But there is a sense in my heart that God, I don't want my way anymore. My way led to death. My way led to relational hurt. My way created problems, and I don't like the fruit. God, I want your way, and I repent, and I turn, and I humble myself before him. That's what repentance is. See, one of the things we lament in the church today is that sometimes we don't want to hear about repentance. Often we don't talk about repentance. Well, that's a big mistake if that's true like, yeah, but we prefer to hear about the love of God, and I want to hear the destiny God has for me, and the joy of the Spirit. Tell me about that, Sean. And all those things are true, by the way. But the fact is, when Jesus came, he was baptized by John. He was taken by the Spirit into the wilderness, tempted by the enemy. He came back. He began his public ministry. Do you know what his very first message was? This is Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near." And he didn't say he preached at one time. He began to preach. In other words, this was a theme all throughout Jesus' ministry. Repent. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from the sin that's hurting you and hurting others around you. And come. Come to the Father. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. God does have a destiny. He loves you. He has an amazing plan that he wants to fulfill in your life. But it cannot even begin until we repent.
1: That is Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Radio for Real Life. And if you'd like to hear this full message in this series that's called, called, Here Am I, Send Me. It's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And there, if you're able to bless back, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Again, look for the Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park service times on Saturday nights at 5, Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.15. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. As Radio for Real Life is a ministry of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time for more Real Life.